Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 19, Episode 21, powered by Huddle Analysis, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We brought in Jason Buchler from the Pro Hockey Group to talk about uh, once again, like we did last week, the 2024 NHL draft and just trying to get you know, some some information together, just collecting data before we get to a point where we have to do hard analysis and put the final list together. So, Jason, I want to go over a few more players uh, that, you know, just to jump on from what we did last week. And I want to get your thoughts on Sasha Boisvert, who is a Quebec-born player but went to play in the USHL in uh, Muskegon. And I thought last year as a rookie, look, the USHL is a hard league to produce points in. And I thought as a a first-year player there, he played exceptionally well. And I think he's transferred that to this season as well. And what I liked about what he's done is he's become much more of a dual threat. He recognized Mm -hmm. last year that he needed to shoot more and get inside the paint more. And so that he isn't so one dimensional and that he's so it's easier to get targeted in terms of, you know, being, you know, can target him and no understanding what he's doing. And I thought this year he did a much better job of that. And, I think he's a really well-rounded two-way center who, once he gets through college out of uh, North Dakota, he could be a very good player in the NHL. Yeah, so what's really improved with him year over year is, uh, so he grew, it looks to me like his body, that he grew tall early in his development, and then the rest of the mechanics had to kind of catch up a little bit. Um, So last year he was, you know, he's got great stick, great hands, great vision. He can make plays in small areas. So, you know, if he wasn't getting from A to B quite as fast last year, he could make a dish to a line mate. And, you know, there was a result out of it this year. He's getting places quicker uh, and you can really see it as the season goes along, even transporting the puck uh, through the neutral zone, like leading the rush himself. Um, so th- the fact that he's quicker, faster, is getting him better looks at the net and now he's scoring more goals. So he's flipped the script. Like last year it was uh, more playmaking this year. It's more goal scoring. So um, he's a very interesting uh, uh, player for me, prospect for me. I think he's on the rise. He's one of the risers on my list for sure. Uh, Going to a great program at North Dakota. I think he's a two year guy at the college level before he turns pro, but this is a top 15 NHL draft in this cycle for me. And I'm not going to be the least bit surprised if somebody takes a run at him uh, around 10, to be honest with you. I think that he's one of the guys in this draft class who's got a lot of momentum, similar to uh, a Carter uh, Yakimchuk uh, in Calgary. Yeah, I agree with that, just because there's versatility in his game, and versatility is has a high value in the NHL when you can play in a lot of different situations. Coaches love it, and general managers like it because it's just a greater asset base to work from. I want to get your thoughts on Cole Hudson. And it's such an it's such an interesting dynamic when you're looking at smaller offensive-minded defensemen and then how many make the NHL and then how many have struggles in the NHL or get to the NHL and have struggles. So if you look at in the past, you look at Adam Boquist, Jake Bean, Eric Brandstrom, Ty Smith, 
Ryan Merkley, Nicholas Bowden, all first round picks, all in some ways either have a problem getting into the NHL or having problems sticking in that top four role or to be a number four defenseman as an offensive defenseman. And then I look to successes more like Jared Spurgeon and, you know, Ryan Ellis, who, who's injured, but did it as a five ten D man. Do you think Cole Hudson has the capability of being special defensively? I'm not worried about the offense, but just, you gotta be, if you're going to be that small, you got to be special defensively. And can he duplicate what, you know, the Ryan Ellis's of the world and the Jared Spurgeon's of the world, can he replicate that defensively? Yeah. I mean, even uh, Samuel Gerrard, right. You think right. about a player like that and, you know, and he was wheeling around in the Quebec league. So um, I have no doubt that this kid uh, is going to be a, a capable defender in the NHL. I really believe it. I, I think that, there's going to be some growth required, no doubt. And he's always going to be what I call average to average plus defensively. If he's between there, even if he lands between there, his offensive element takes over for me in terms of his value on my roster. So this is a player you need to pair with the right D partner. You know, he might need a tree as a partner, a guy that's going to, you know, stay at home a lot more, obviously, you know, protect the house, if you will. But he's plenty competitive. He's quick to space. He can pounce on pucks ahead of uh, his opponents. And he's got that hockey sense and the spatial awareness to read and react, you know, quicker than a lot of uh, people in this age group. So, um, you know, his offensive numbers uh, are slowly starting to climb again. He had a huge tournament at the uh, Five Nations in Plymouth here recently where he went off, I believe, for eight or nine points or something like that in that tournament. Um, and he was all over it. He had the puck on his stick every stick, kind of like his brother did before he went to BU. So it's going to be uh, something that takes some time. But uh, average defensively is going to be good enough for me, Shane, with this guy because he'll quarterback one of your power play units and he'll be able to do all the other things offensively. Let's talk about Maxime Massey out of the queue. And, you know, there's been a few queue forwards that have come out that have been a you know stocky build. Um, you know, north, south, up and you know, up and down the wing, and guys that could potentially project into that third line role, like almost like I don't like using the term middle six because it's not very terribly specific, but a guy that it just has a higher floor that you can rely on may not have the high end offensive abilities, but you know, if paired against going against third pairing D, that's where a player like that can maybe exploit that and get some secondary offense thoughts on him in this season and where you sort of project him as the season finishes out. Well, you know, he's not a transition threat per se. So he's not the guy on zone exits that you want to lead the rush through the neutral zones. Well, if he gets it on the half wall in his zone, he's going to chip it to, to open space and he wants to join the rush, you know? So when the puck gets into the offensive zone, he's a hash marks down guy, middle of the ice guy exceptional puck touch like he's got great mitts and he can extend plays along the wall and below the goal line so there's there's value in players like that at this time of year we're getting close to trade deadline players who can like the zach hymans of the world who can extend plays in the hard areas they're exceptionally valued i'm not saying that mass is going to be that but what i am saying i'm trying to paint a picture you know that's the kind of player he is he's going to be that guy in the middle of the ice when he gets it on the flank on the fire play he's going to rip it so great mitts, heavy body, uh, average plus feet. He's going to have to go to another level of the skating. 
But uh, I like him a lot for what he can provide. And uh, the NHL's a track meet, though. He's definitely going to have to improve his skating. Do you find, though, with a player like this, even, you know, he'll, I expect he'll improve his skating overall in terms of his two and three step quickness. I think his agility is pretty good because that's how he can protect the puck down low and, you know, and round in front of the net, you know, get a little extra burst on that foot speed just to be able to help drive back some defenders. But in the playoffs, I think sometimes, particularly in the NHL, we watch the regular season and we sort of forget what hockey's really like. And then that first round comes and it's a bloodbath and it's guys like Massey who can wear down defenders and control the play. So then he has puck support coming in, right? Especially if you dump the puck in, you got to go in and grind and get at it. He can kind of, he can keep that there or get in front of the net and control some position and battle a D man who has to keep one eye on him and one eye on what's going on. Do you think he ends up translating better as, even though he'll probably, if he does play, he's probably a third line player, but his value actually extends when you're in the playoffs because of how he plays along the wall in front of the net. Yeah, for sure. He's the type of guy that absorbs contact from his first check and it might take two checks to knock him off the plate. And that's exceptionally valuable. So, you know, you're onto something there when you talk about him maybe being a three, call it, call him a three at even strength, but he's going to be on one of the power play units because you have to have him. Like he's a, a goal scorer. Yeah. Like, you know, he's, well, he can play the bumper or he can play the flank. Like it's it's either or the weak side flank. So, um, yeah, these types of guys, you know, the, you, you hit it right on the head in the first round of playoffs, especially um, even when they're not going in terms of production offensively, they're wearing down the opponent or the opponent. And it's a war of attrition, isn't it? So uh, that's the type of player he can be that way. He doesn't back down from contact and compete in the hard areas. So there's lots to like. You know, and that's where you sort of look at, you know, him and Sasha in terms of they're both players that have the willingness and make choices, um, good choices to go and play in the dirty areas. Not everybody likes playing in the house, you know, because no. defensemen are angry and they don't want you there. So that's what I look for is I know a lot of these top end guys make really good decisions with the puck or shooting. But to me, I, I look for the difference, which players make good choices, who are going to take hits to make plays. Who's going to take that, you know, get smacked around in front of the net? Who's going to control the puck and willing to absorb that? Because that, to me, is a separator between the players that can – it's all about winning in the playoffs. It's not about winning in the in the regular season. So those are the players I'm always looking for. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the 2024 draft right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown – on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Huddle Analysis, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Continuing to speak with Jason Bukula from the Pro Hockey Group and Sportsnet about the 2024 draft. Jason, I want to ask you about Alphonse Frige, a Swedish defenseman, 6'1", actually he's pretty bulky for a young kid at a, you know 100, over 190 pounds already. Thoughts on him in terms of where you think he fits? Because I see him as a two-way defenseman who can provide some offense. I mean, I know the J20 league, you can you can pump up a lot of offense in that league. So it's a little bit of helter-skelter. Of, there's not a lot of structure. So you can free wheel a little bit. But I think there's a nice balance between his capacity to join the rush and make smart passes, but then be stout defensively. I think he's one of those defensemen that is, I think is a little bit underappreciated in this draft class. And I think people are going to find a spot for him, you know, somewhere in that top 60 and he may surprise some people in four years. I I agree with that. You know, he's, his numbers at the J 20 level in Sweden are, you know, they're solid. They're not, you know, he's a defenseman. So, you know, you got to keep it in perspective, but, but they're solid. And I like to, to go through things in segments. We've talked about this before and like his last 10 game segment, um, He's got like four goals, eight assists, and he's like a plus whatever, two or four, whatever he is. But my point is that you're, you're bang on. Similar to uh, uh, Willander last year, who kind of in the second half of the season took off for the Swedes. I'm not, I'm absolutely not suggesting this kid's going to get to that level. So don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is he has momentum right now. So he's, he's not small. Um, he's not overly physical, but he's got great feet. He's got great feet. He's got good puck touch. I think that he can quarterback one of your power play units, honestly. Um, and I think that down the stretch, we're going to see that, especially going into the Worlds uh, with Sweden here in, in April when we're all over in Helsinki. I'm interested to see what his more finished product looks like for this year when we get there. But um, he's competitive. He skates. He's got good size. He can make plays. So uh, somebody's going to value him, I believe, in the top uh, 35 of the draft, personally, um, because of all the uh, – tangible skills he's got there. You can do a variety of things. You know what? Obviously coaches and general managers and directors of amateur scouting like the versatility that creates value. And I've had to learn the hard way that defensemen coming into the draft, they hard charge after Christmas. 
So you got to be, you ca- you really got to be careful about making any kind of judgments on defensemen, even if they have a really good start, because for whatever reason, they get their footing after Christmas and then February, March, they just charge down the tracks. And that's when I think you really start to understand what they really are. And then as you get into the CHL playoffs or, you know, you get into the USHL playoffs or the world juniors uh, or the world under 18 juniors, I think it really helps you understand what they're going to be more clearly than you ever did before Christmas. I'm always wary about defense prior to Christmas. No, I think that's fair. It's the same with goaltenders, you know, like there's obviously some outliers every year. You already know, but uh, on balance, I think it's your, you're absolutely right. I also want to get your thoughts on uh, Teddy Stiga from the program. You know, he's 5'10", about 175 pounds. So he's not the, the biggest guy. And when you're that size, the first thing I look for is, okay, how are your feet? Because if you can't get away from those behemoths on defense, they're just going to envelop you and eat you up, even if you have really excellent puck skills. So thought uh, thoughts on him in terms of that combination of his puck skills, hockey sense, and feet. No issues with his feet. This kid plays like his hair is on fire. He's playing all situations at the U.S. National Team Development Program. His last segment of games, he went off. He's got like 18 points in his last 10 games. Super impressive at the Five Nations in Plymouth. Um, I love his complete, uh, his compete. I love his drive. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be a power play uh, guy as a pro. He's got some Gavin Brindley in him uh, from past drafts in terms of his work ethic. Uh, Brindley's really thick and strong from the waist down. Like he's got huge legs. Um, this kid though, he's a, he's a riser. There's absolutely no doubt. So again, he's one of those guys that can play a variety of roles in your lineup. Um, better than average skill, but the rest of his game, the way that he plays is really, really good. And, and, uh, he's, he's a name to keep an eye on. I think he's got a ton of momentum. When you're looking at a player like him and projecting him out at, you know, 22, 23, do you see, and this is just from my perspective, I see a high energy, like at the high end, top end of the ceiling, a high energy plays with high pace, uh, offensively opportunistic third line winger who, when things are getting kind of flat, that's a guy you send over the boards on a line just to drum up some energy so that, the next line can feed off that um, because he seems to be a guy who is just going to be a pest in your face, not in terms of just, just being a pain in the ass and being on pucks and on D and just like buzzing around and the big demon just want to like be like King Kong and like smack him away. Right. And that provides energy. I think sometimes you watch a player and you go, okay, you're looking at what he does individually, but then what does he do for the people around him and the people on the bench? Because it's hard not to get out, jump over the boards the next shift, knowing that this little guy racing around is causing havoc. That just, that adds something to the mix. You know, he's going to be, you know, 185 pounds, 190 pounds, whatever he is when he, when you just said it, when he's 22, 23 years old, call it 185. You don't want a guy like this to carry too, too much weight, but um, listen, he stirs a drink. He's a rash that never goes away. He's always in the fight. So you're exactly, you're exactly right. When things get stale, the coach can look down on the bench and see a player like this and say, you know, I got to get him out there to stir the drink because it's going to hopefully energize the group. And he is an absolute rat to, to play against on the penalty kill. 
like up ice when they ice the puck, he's going. He's he's going as hard as he can up there to disturb the breakout. Um, I love his three zone efforts. Uh, he's one of my favorite players right now. I'm interested to see where it goes. He's, he reminds me a little bit, not completely, but he reminds me a little bit when this player's at his best is Hoaglander out of Vancouver. Yeah. When Hoaglander's at his best, there's some similarities with how they play. So, you know, that's why I kind of think this kid could be in a, being a really effective third line player for a team. want to ask you about Camille uh, Bednarik. Thoughts on him out of the program and what you saw, you know, after Christmas and then as he's coming down the stretch, because I think it's, the program is is always a challenge for me to watch is because it's such an all-star team laden and who are they playing against and how do I weight that and thoughts on Begneric overall? Well, you just brought up something that's really interesting and that's where a player like Begneric and Stiga, um, they take a little bit longer to rise to the top just because um, guys like Eisenman and Hagen's and these guys, they have up front, they're take, there's only one puck, and they're taking up the majority of the quality ice at some, you know, quality offensive looks. Um, Benaric is similar to Siga in that he, he's another guy that's on the rise. Plays fast, um, takes a lot of key defensive zone faceoffs for the Team USA. Um, unfortunately, at the Five Nations, he lost the most key draw of the entire tournament. I'm, I'm going to ask him about it at some point. Um, you know, let's see how he rebounds the rest of the year. There's 1.5 seconds left in the game, and Sweden won the draw and, and, you know, scored, which was incredible. Um, but listen, combination, this is a two-way forward. Make no mistake, Shane. Two-way forward, plays fast, got some bump to him, can kill penalties. He's got enough skill to be uh, thrown into a power play if he needs to. But at the NHL level, I don't see it. I see a three at the NHL level who's going to be a guy that can be uh, worked in uh, to your lineup in a variety of roles up and down the line. Uh, great value that way. And he's really competitive as well. So, Skates, competes, better than average skill. Uh, there's a role for him on my NHL roster. And the other thing is now he's going to – next year he's going to go to BU and probably be put in the same situation in BU where he, there's a bunch of high-end offensive guys. Okay, what role do, – does he end up playing the same role in BU? Probably. He may – to his advantage, it might be the fact that he recognizes what his identity is yeah. now at this age, and a lot of players don't have that. Like I talk to players and it's like, what are you talking about? They're like, there's no way you're th- like this player. Right? And he, I think he may be able to figure it out right away, which is to his advantage. And sometimes we forget that, you know, 98% of the time you don't have puck. So what are you doing right. without the puck to be an effective player for your team to win? And that's where you look at guys like Bednarik and Stiga in that way going, okay, when they don't have the puck, what are they providing to this team? What, do we, what can we like, where can I, where can they play? What, you know, and both of them could end up being penalty killing players. And then, you know, I, you know, listeners go say, Oh, a penalty killing player, but you're a penalty killer in the best league in the world. Right. So there's tremendous value in that. So. Yeah. There's, there's I, only I so many of these it. jobs. Yeah, yeah. There's only so many of these jobs. And uh, you know, when, like when you skate and you compete and you've got skill and you already know what you are, um, you're easier when we hand the off to the player development uh, uh, staff, you know, the, in Florida it was Brian McCabe for us. When I hand him off to Caber, he knows what he's getting already. And we just nurture that. And uh, I think you're, you're exactly right. The kid seems to know what he is. Well, Jason, thank you very much for coming to the show. We appreciate it. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Every play, 
every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Huddle Analysis, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Brad and I are going to talk about the 2024 draft, the same as we did last week. Just kind of get into some more players. It's just a, you know, we could talk about this, and we will when we get into our draft preview show. But it's just a, a massive list of players to get through. Right off the hop, let's talk about Matt Vay Shervin. Thoughts on him as a defenseman? Because we we both agree that defensemen tend to late hard charge after Christmas, and you start to get a better understanding of who they really are, kind of into that late February, March, April time frame. Thoughts on him as a defenseman and what you sort of project for him, not through not just through the rest of the year, but moving forward as well. Sure, yeah. So Matt Vesheruven is a byproduct of CSKA system, uh, both in the MHL and he's been called up to the KHL, which is super rare for his age. And that's what makes it very interesting uh, to myself and to our staff hockey prospects. So the, the thing with Sheruven is that, as you mentioned, usually you start seeing accelerated development after Christmas, especially if they're younger. Uh, in Sheruven's case, he's very polished early. And that's pretty rare, especially at the MHL. Now, I'm, I'm sure for our listeners, some of you know, Russia's weakness has always been uh, defense when it comes to the draft. There, you know, don't get me wrong. There's some incredible Russian defensemen over the years, but when you look at it relative to the CHL and other leagues, it's usually their their Achilles heel. But when you look at Sharuvin, he plays a North American game, and he already has that polish that makes him look like he was already in North America. Uh, keeps very tight gaps. He knows how to maintain uh, and be very efficient with the puck. The, the thing that stands out the most about him is when you look at him, he plays a pro game already, very mature. So the thing with him now is, from a scouting perspective, what we're trying to evaluate is, is there enough offense to suggest maybe he's more than a shutdown defenseman or, or an, an insulator, as we like to say here? 
Can he be a two-way defenseman given time? Or does he turn into one of those hybrid shutdown puck movers? Uh, and that that's looking what he is now. That's that's towards the trajectory he is now. But maybe there's a little bit more untapped potential because, as you know, Shane, when a kid gets called up to KHL, what is he trying not to do? And that's make a mistake. He doesn't want to get sent down. doesn't want his ice time limited. Right. No, and that's part of the – and this is – the KHL is no different than – when you get young prospects playing, whether they're draft eligible or drafted going into the CHL or into, sorry, into the SHL in Sweden or in Liga in Finland or extra Liga, every time they jump up, they play conservative because otherwise they're going to get hammered to the bench. So, and that's part of the, the challenge of getting ice time and actually getting proper development in that respect. So there is some advantages to playing against men, because I think you get a better understanding of where they are, but there's a disadvantage is like, if they make a mistake, the coach can't afford to get that, that relegation is a, is an issue in European hockey. So there's a balance between that. I think really affects a bunch of prospects in that respect. So it's always something to consider when you're watching European players. I want to ask you about Tanner how, and it's always uh, an interesting conversation with you and I when you have a smaller skilled forward who isn't a great skater. And then what happens to them when they when the talent pool compresses and they move up? So we've seen lots of guys produce a lot of points, but what you know, if you can't create time and space for yourself or you can't play off puck because you don't have the ability to jump into those spaces or to create, you know, issues defensively, how do you succeed? Or like, what's your role? Thoughts on Tanner Howe? Well, this is the thing with Tanner Howe, right? So from a scouting perspective, 5'9", five, 5'9 nine, five, nine and a half, and as you mentioned, average skater, somewhat below average relative to his size. Normally that's a no draft, right? You look at that, you cross that out, you move on. That That's how scouting works. Uh, in the case of Tanner Howe, he makes you take a step back and reevaluate because of a couple of reasons. The first is what we always talk about here, processing ability, very smart, very calculated, and he knows how to rapidly adjust, and he's a very gifted playmaker. So that helps compensate with the speed. The other issue, when it comes to his evaluation, you got to put, put yourself on nose as a scout, is when you look at how he plays and what he is for Regina, like he's the captain of that team. He's also a heart and soul player. There's there's blood, guts, and glory that you can identify with in his game, and that's very important for him because when you look back on drafts and you go, this kid pulled it off, and then this kid didn't, one of the almost always on the correlations between the two is that one didn't work very hard, and you could see that on the ice, the other did. And that's that's the thing. Tanner Howe works very hard, and that's something he's developed over the last two years of his game. He wasn't always that player last season. So that's another skill set he's acquired now. So that shows an improvement in his curve in a critical area that you have to weight very, very highly. The last thing you ever do with the five, nine and a half players, if their compete is not very high, then that doesn't, they don't matter. But his is, and then you get the rest of his skill set. And that's one of those smaller players for me where you have to take pause and you have to say, all right, he's got a, he's got a long ways to go, but he's got that moxie to him. He's got that it factor in terms of a smaller player who might be able to make it. There's a bit of Victor Arvidsson in him in that regard. He's a very competitive player. He's a very driven kid. You can tell and see how he plays on the ice. And that should be able to translate better than some people think. So I, I feel like Tanner Howe is one of those players that's probably uh, more polarizing than people think behind the scenes. I'm sure, like, we'll talk about uh, uh, Joel Franson in a bit here, uh, talking about the the public scouting relative to what NHL scouts look for and why. Um, but Tanner Howe is one of those kids where 
NHL scouts are going to be on pause because of the skating deficiencies. Uh, and then people publicly are going to be jumping at him, right? Thinking top 32 all day, but it's just not the case because of that. There is risk, but he is one of those smaller players that absolutely has a chance to play because of the the heart, the attributes that you need, the competitiveness, the determination, the sense for the game. Well, obsession and work ethic can trump skill. So, you know, in some respects, and those guys tend to find a way. It was a conversation I had with the Montreal writers back in the day about uh, Gallagher, about Brennan Gallagher, because uh, I was living in Vancouver, and I said, this kid's going to find a way to make it. Oh, he's small. He can't skate well. You know, he ain't going to make it. He's a fifth-round pick. I'm like, okay, you know, because I watched him his whole career. I'm not saying they're the same player, but, you know, guts and obsession and work ethic can trump skill. Uh, before we head off to break, let's talk about Cole Bowden. Thoughts on him? Big, massive kid already. 6'2", over 200 pounds. Thoughts on him and what you sort of project for him coming down the stretch run and then in, in towards the draft? He's starting to figure it out. This kid's starting to really get an idea of what he needs to be. And and uh, for my money, one of the most competitive players in the draft. Like uh, we, we use the Jets' old uh, three to nine scale. He's, a, he's simply a flat nine. He's elite when it comes to the compete department. This kid, not the greatest skater, and he makes up for it in every way imaginable with with the fire that he brings on the ice. This kid is is wants to be involved in every play. He's incredibly physical and he he motors around the ice to again compensate. He's very interesting uh when it comes to his skating actually because when you look at it, I think he's bow-legged. Uh, he appears bow-legged on the ice. And what that means is that he's a he becomes a wide track skater as a result of that. And so he's a 6-2 kid, he's a wide track skater. As a center, he's not very slippery, right? When he's coming out of turns, there's a whole lot there to clip. And so I think what, what happened with him earlier in the season was he was having difficulty uh, with traffic occasionally, in my viewings. And now he's starting to understand how to peel off pressure and find options and use his trailing options better. Uh, it's a big part of it. Uh, the other thing with, with this kid is when you look at his skill set, he's very well-rounded. He's also defensively responsible. So 6'2", 200-foot defensively responsible center with a nine compete and a well-rounded skill set. Yeah, don't be, so, don't be shocked if he goes pretty high on draft. I, I think for sure he's a second-round pick. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if a team uh, had him in the top, top uh, 20, 25 picks on their list. Um, he's He has risen significantly on my own list. I had him about 45, between 45 and 50 earlier in the year, and he's forced me my hand to move him up significantly. Um, so there's a whole lot there. It's, it's interesting. You know, I remember we talked about the OHL early, and it's like I hope some of these kids start really developing and taking off. He's another example where this OHL draft is a lot deeper than I think we initially thought, including myself. I'm, I was part of that too. I thought it was weak. It's not very weak at all. There's a whole lot happening in the O right now. It's very exciting. Well, it's that's the danger, and I've been subject to that as well as you start doing data analysis while you're still in data collection mode. And you think something is something – and, you know, we should know better. So it's why I don't put publicly put lists together until I get into June, because I need to collect all the data because just things happen. And you still want to get caught in a situation where, where I thought he was this at this point, And three months later, I have to change it. And in, maybe in some cases, I got to move him 20 spots. And you can't be concerned about what the public thinks about it, because it's based on what you the player. It's the player that's doing it and you have to recognize it and not get caught with, you know, the public perception or the biases that come along with that, which is why I just try to remove that altogether and just try not to do that. You guys obviously can't do that. That's the way it is from, from your standpoint, but 
that's the part of the challenge where, I mean, just like defensemen, some players hard charge after Christmas and it takes a while for things to like really click for players from that standpoint. Uh, we should take a short break on hockey prospect ready, but when we come back, we'll talk, continue to talk about the 2024 NHL draft right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. All right, we're back chatting about the 2024 draft, some prospects that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week, and we'll continue to talk about them as we progress towards the 2024 draft, and then we get into our four draft preview shows, eight hours of it. So, Brad, let's talk about another defenseman in Noel France and this is like this is where I find it interesting how the trends of the NHL has changed a little bit, and you find the six foot, maybe the six foot two hundred pound defense when they're fully grown. Where do they fit, and then what skills do they need to separate themselves from the vast majority of other players with some similar physical like attributes in that respect? So thoughts on Noel Franson in terms of of a defenseman and where you think he sort of falls because look, and we talk about the J twenty numbers. You know, and they can be, they can blow up really easily. It's a, it's a league where there's um, a lot of chaos and guys can take advantage of that and they can get a lot, produce a lot of points. So you got to take that a little bit with a grain of salt in, in that respect, but thoughts on him overall. And I know we got a couple games up at the SHL this year so far, but how do you think he's progressed as we're leading towards the U18s and then, then into the draft? Well, one of the questions I get asked often is why, do NHL scouts rank players so differently than online scouts? <laughs> that's a, that's a big one, and uh, you know I, I I I'm fortunate enough to get to bridge that right. I, I have an opportunity to talk to NHL scouts, and and I'm an online public scout, so it's one of those situations where this is a perfect example of the difference in thinking between an NHL team and somebody who's just doing this publicly. Is Noel Franzen is a five eleven defenseman with offensive talent 
but a lot of defe- defensive issues at his size. And so NHL staff take in risk in the consideration at a far greater degree than an online scout would because the NHL staff has to. Well, and that, that right there, they are going to lose their job. And that right there is the fundamental difference between being on an NHL staff and being an online scout who gets to just throw a name around, right? So with with Franson, in Franson's case, what's really interesting about him is I find he's one of those players that does bridge both ways. So what I mean by that is that usually when you have a defenseman that, that's smaller, um, even if they're putting up production, it doesn't mean much unless they still project to be an NHL caliber defenseman. In Franson's case, when you're looking at a smaller player, you need to take into consideration their energy level. A defenseman needs to project to have a ton of energy so that he can compensate for his lack of range because he needs to cut down that much more, right? He has a lack of length. He has the inability to box out correctly at the rate a larger defenseman typically would, right? When you project them at the NHL level, this, this applies to transitional rush defense. This applies to a whole lot of happening in the defensive zone. He needs to stay above water in the defensive end long enough so that his production theoretically he could generate will actually be there to pop because he needs the minutes to play. He's not going to get those minutes unless he can be trusted enough, right? And that comes down to playoff hockey as well. So what's interesting about Franzen for me is that he checks some of these boxes that are very, very significant. He's a very gifted skater. He's an explosive athlete, especially in his first three steps, which will help him. And then he really cares. And I know that sounds like, oh, does that really, like, there's other athletes who care and they don't get to play. You're right, but it's the base. You you must bring enough there in order to show that you want to make a difference, right? One, one of the issues with Sam Gerrard's game, you know, this goes back to his draft year. It's always been up to debate is, can he be a playoff contributor at the rate needed, right? Um, can it give in consideration that, yes, he's a brilliant puck mover and has offensive weapons and he's one of the best peelers off of pressure you'll ever see with his spinning and his ability to uh, use his edge work. But when it comes to the defensive assignments, he's kind of there sometimes, right? And that's what the the question that NHL teams are asking themselves right now with this kid is, can he be there enough? And right now, from what I saw in SHL, I was very impressed. And that gave me pause because I had this kid as no draft. And this is what you said. We'll give him time. Let's see. Let's see what he looks like after Christmas. And well, he's improved. He's starting to, to figure things out. He's starting to understand that more defense leads to better offense. And another thing that's very fascinating about this player is he's not, you know, he's not a dynamic uh, offensive player, but he's a remarkably dynamic thinker when it comes to seam recognition and evaluation from the point. That's why he has so many goals. And so it's it's a subtle trait that that gives him his production. It's not one that pops. It's not a highlight reel trait. It's subtle. That doesn't mean it's not effective. So he's a very interesting player when you project him long-term. If, as you suggested, can he get to six feet, six one, and get to 190? If that happens, and then she'll team drafts this kid in the fifth, sixth, seventh round where he should get drafted, then you might have something very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because that's um, that's the debate. And then that's the, you know, potentially the advantage of having a kid from Europe is because you can leave him there a little bit longer and cook before you bring him into the American Hockey League if you think that's the right spot for him. Let's talk about Nathan Villeneuve. Uh, you know, interesting from him out of Sudbury as a centerman. And where do you th- where do you fit him in in this draft grouping at this time? Because this is where guys have to get pushed down, even if they have some offensive production. Because you just got to figure out what what's their role. What are they going to be? Even though if the player doesn't recognize what what his role is going to be at a pro level, you have to recognize that earlier. 
Mm, so early in the season, floor was exceptionally high because his compete, we're talking about another competitive player, very competitive yeah. player. Then you factor in the skating. This kid, he's not as fast as Oliver Moore, but mechanically, I'd even argue he's maybe even more efficient in some ways than Oliver Moore. He's that good a skater, a very gifted skater, top 10 skater in this class. So you, you factor in the skating, you factor in the competitive nature of the kid, and you factor what he's willing to do on the ice. He's, he's willing to do anything he needs to, right? Uh, complimentary piece on one shift. He'll be the line driver going through the transitional, uh, uh, going through the neutral zone transition over the offensive line and another. Uh, he can set up his teammates. He can finish occasionally. But can it come together cohesively enough where you could suggest he's a top nine forward long term? That was the the current issue we had when we were looking at valuing him the last couple of months. What I found recently is that he's starting to put everything together. His catch and release is more significant than I immediate, uh, that I uh, first thought. And then when you look at his playmaking evaluations, he's one of those he's one of those players that does it right where he's very driven and energetic on the ice, but it doesn't allow him uh, to overstate his game, meaning like throw pucks away uh, and be inefficient or make blind passes too often. He doesn't do those things. He's actually a very efficient playmaker despite being very high energy. And that's a difficult balance. It's it's a a very difficult balance in the NHL. Maybe more. And, And that's, what's very interesting about this player because if he's more then he's very, very useful extremely useful he's, a, he's one of those players that you project to be uh when you when you project a, a player we just talked about like friends and what you're what you're drafting is primarily for the regular season to get you there he's a i'll get you to the playoffs yeah. with villeneuve he's one that's built for it that's the yeah. difference right and that's how that's that's part of the valuation got uh less than three minutes less left let's talk about dominic Badinka as a d-man six three well he's lanky still at 180 odd pounds right-handed shot Thoughts on him out of Malmo's system and and what you think the upside is? So he has one of the better curves I've seen out of any prospect this season. When I first evaluated him in, in uh, uh, J20 over in Sweden, is uh, a Malmo system. I, I thought he was unbelievably raw. Like it was just tossing pucks away, didn't know how to take risk into consideration to any zone. And it, it was one of those situations where it's, okay, 6'3", skates relatively well, good tool kid, um, decent hands for, for a bigger kid. Um but not not a lot happening there that I'm very interested in. Um, flash forward, and the kid gets called up to the SHL. And I, I'll be honest with you, when he first got called up, I was like, it's not going to last. And he'll play, you know, typical six, seven, eight minutes, which is, is usual for a first-year eligible playing the SHL. There's not much ice in the SHL. It's a good league. And that didn't happen at all. Instead, he stayed in the SHL. He's getting 18 minutes some nights, 20 minutes some nights. So, holy What's going on? So you you look at him now, and it, it's unbelievable. The kid went from, th- again, throwing pucks away, not evaluating risk correctly, and being just just not a very good player, quite frankly, to being clean and efficient and reliable and shutting down opposing uh, uh, forwards at the SHL level already, showing a physical side to him. He's got a chip on his shoulder occasionally. He's, he's hard to play against down low around his net area, and that's what you want. He already is understanding how to use his leverages to advantages. To his advantage when it comes to stick pressing and stick lifting and getting inside and turning players around at the time they need to so they can't deflect pucks uh, at his goalie, things like that that really matter. Uh, And then you look at him at the line and there's a bit more there than you think. He was playing power play one when he was in J20 and some of that's translated to the line where he has he has enough poise, he has enough of those things. So he went from basically a watch to me to absolutely a bonafide draft pick. And now it's just trying to evaluate and figure out just how high do you put him and what will his role be? Right now he looks like an insulator, but he went from a no draft to me to uh, maybe a top 
a top four insulator in the span of a couple of months. And again, that's what happens during drafts. And, and I know for some people it's like, well, it looks bad because you're yo-yoing players around. I, I honestly think it's one of those situations where I, I, I should have done it more earlier in, in, my, in my career when I started doing this, because you need to be able to mentally reframe on prospects yeah. or you'll get them wrong. Yeah. And, and and that's the case with Dominic Bedink. It comes down to mental reframing. I I, I miscalculated. I misevaluated what the kid was going to be. Happens all the time. We're all in the same boat. Uh, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hour 2 and brought to you by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at Junior Prospect Hockey League. .com. We're speaking with Patrick Williams, HL correspondent for NHL.com and AHL.com. So we're going to chat th- chat about a couple rookies this week as well. Now, I know Adam Sakura got a couple games in last year, well, six games plus playoffs, but this is really his rookie season. And I know they let him go to the World Juniors, which I think is great because he's a 19-year-old from that respect. But he's the type of player from my perspective, Patrick, that it's that part of that new breed. Like you, you need a guy like this on your third line. He's like yep. a dynamic skater. He's exceptionally responsible defensively for a young player, which is really rare. Uh, you know, his leadership capabilities, he's got a motor, he plays with pace. He has pretty good puck skills, pretty good hockey sense from that respect. Um, don't look at his numbers in terms of like, you know, only having 19 points in 42 games. Cause I, you know, he's playing a role, but in the league, and the American Hockey League is getting younger. I remember when you and I started, I think the average was like 29 years old. And now it's down <laughs> to 24. Like, it's a young league. Again. It, was a, it was an old 29, too, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're talking a lot gr- of miles on those. Uh, that's those grizzled. 
grizzled 29 year old so you know in that respect conditioning and the uh, lifestyle was not always conducive um yeah they, had, they were 35 year old bodies if not like yeah. with the injuries and the smoking and the drinking so yeah it's totally different world and that's where i think i'm you know i've actually changed my tune i used to be really heavily against having 19 year old 20 year olds in the american hockey league and to a degree depending on the player i do um but if the player has the maturity of Adam Sakura, I'm okay with having a 19-year-old in there, particularly if you're a European. And the reason I say that in, in Adam's case is if you get a player playing, you know, in the SAHL or or Extra League or Liga or the KHL, well, you're subject to the whims of that particular team. And if you're going to potentially get relegated, that team, well, that 19-year-old's, like, unless they're utterly unbelievable dynamic, they're going to get you know, staple to the bench. So that doesn't help their development, right? So that's why I think it's it was good for Adam Sakura to come over. To, um, talk about a little bit about, you know, how he's played so far in the first 42 games. Well, uh, first off, that's a great point about, uh, you know, the European clubs, like they have a completely different um, set of priorities, as they should, right? Like their priorities are, are winning. Um, in some cases, the relegation fight, you know, depending on the league. Uh, obviously making money like so you know putting fans in seats there there's a whole different you know set of priorities that uh, your your american hockey league team doesn't necessarily have those same uh, objectives at least not to the same extent so um you get a player like him over here he's in your system he's he's under the the, the eye of your coaching staff your developmental staff every single day at practice and then two or three times in you know a week on the ice in game competition um you can, you know, Hartford in New York, obviously close by, you can shoot back and forth. Um, you know, it's just, it's a whole different uh, setup, right? Like, in, uh, like you said, and I think the other thing too now with your 19 year olds is they're coming out, they're, they're so much more prepared than they used to be. And it used to be, uh, you know, 20, even 21 year olds still really raw. Oh, they were and a babe in the woods when we first started, you know, like in the just, early 2000s, 20, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002, you saw a 20 year old come in there and they look like, like a child going into yeah. a prison, going into a prison yard. Like it's just <laughs> radically different than it ever, ever was 20, 25 years ago. And now the, the level of training and coaching at a younger and younger age is so much better. Like these kids now in their, their teen years are, are, you know, they have the skills coaches and skating coaches and all that. So by the time, you get them at 19 years old. Uh, they're not a finished product, but they're a lot further along than players used to be. So that that that's a big that's a big part of it. And you know, for a guy like Sakura, like he's hanging in there. And I, I I agree with you. You know, people might look at the point totals and say, okay, well, what is he doing? But you know, you have to remember he would normally be a, you know a junior player, right? If he played in the CHL, he'd probably have yeah. eight, you know 85 or 90 points yeah, and in everybody 60 would be, games. Would be, would be throwing about that, you know, like the American League is a huge step, right? Like for, for, for young players and, you know, Hartford is, they've had their ups and downs this year. And, you know, you had a, a coaching change uh, back in November with uh, Block uh, leaving and then Steve Smith coming in. So there's been a lot, a lot to handle for a young player like that, but he's done that. I like, I agree with you. I like that he went off to the world uh, junior and uh, got to do that. And now he's come back to see, see him with the stretch drive and see what he can do. Let's talk about Marco Casper mm -hmm. in Grand Rapids because there's another 19 year old player that, you know, the Red Wings thought, okay, let's, let's get him out of the Swedish elite league out of Rogola 
and get them into our system and play as much hockey as we can get him and in as many different situations so that we can dictate the style of play he has and what situations we can put him in so we can mold him at that age. And in many situations, similar to Adam Sikora and the fact that they just had to get him in. Uh, And it's nothing against the European elite leagues because they're, you know, they're very, very good leagues, but they have their own priorities and, and they know if that player is drafted and he's going to be leaving soon, they got to focus on what they need to do for them to survive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, you're dealing with, with, you know, like I said, depending on the league, you're dealing with relegation concerns. You're dealing with just, you know, physically, you know, putting putting fans in the building and paying your bills. And you, know, you don't have a, an NHL parent club to kind of you know, help you out. Uh, so, yeah, it's this totally different set of priorities, like, as we said, with Sakura. With Casper, as I, I spoke with Dan Watson. He's the uh, head coach of Grand Rapids. And, you know, we had a pretty good chat about um, – Casper, one of the things that really came up was that trust element, right? And that takes time, and it takes time on, on both sides of that relationship, coach and player. Uh, obviously, the coach has to trust trust the player. Um, the player also has to, to come to trust the coach, and you, you're working with each other for the first time on an extended basis. You know, but you know, I spoke with Watson. You know, the first thing that, you know, really, and, and I agree, first thing that really comes um, – it's very apparent is that, that, that work ethic with Casper, you know, like he's got a great work ethic already. You know, he's got a pro style work ethic uh, at a young age at 19. You, you can, I mean, so many of the players who come out of the Swedish league, uh, just Swedish hockey in general um, are so polished already. And then they're very, they're very well trained. And um, so it didn't take long for Casper to get that trust, you know, from a coach like uh, Dan Watson, who's, you know, uh, had a lot of success at different, you know, levels, you know, DCHL level now at the end, the AHL level. So um, with Casper, there wasn't necessarily that reward early on in terms of points. And, you know, the things that, that, you know, excite both players and fans, uh, but as he got used to things, as he started to really figure out the league, it's a much different league from the Swedish league, obviously the points and the numbers started to follow. And, uh, you know, he's, he's basically, he's in your top six. Uh, Grand Rapids has had a really nice uh, past couple of months. He's been a big part of that. And, uh, you know, uh, for him, you know, he's already somebody you can really trust to play all three zones um, and just play with a lot, a lot of diligence, a lot of responsibility. And I think that bodes really well. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what the Red Wings are doing in general with Grand Rapids. I've seen a lot of the same similarities uh, that Steve Eisenman did with uh, Tampa and Syracuse um, in helping to build up that franchise uh, you know, a decade ago. A couple of minutes left before we uh, have to head off to break. Let's talk about Ryan Winterton with Coachella Valley, you know, big strapping young kid and he 20 year old thoughts on him. Cause I think, you know, 14 goals and 43 games for a young kid. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And now he's going to start, you know, charging down the stretch run. And I think that's where he's going to really start to feel much more comfortable about his game. But uh, I think, you know, Seattle is like my conversations with they're really happy about how he's progressed so far. Yeah. You know, Coachella is an interesting story just because, uh, you know, they, they went to game seven uh, of the finals last year, yeah. went over to lost, had a real short summer. Um, had a fair amount of turnover in terms of, uh, you know, with some real key veterans leaving. And obviously Seattle's a, a team where you're still early stages of cycling prospects in. 
Uh, you only have a handful of draft classes. Uh, so, so you're just starting to kind of get some of those players to trickle into Coachella Valley. So it's a much younger team this year. I thought with Winterton, um, you know, he was probably asked to do more earlier um, than maybe a player typically would simply because fair. Yeah. there was some some of that struggle early on for Coachella Valley. They were kind of a up and down team that first two two months or so of the season. Uh, kind of coming off off that uh, playoff run and dealing with those changes, you know. So, so he was somebody that really he stepped up early, and uh, I thought that was really encouraging to see. Um, you know, you know, so often with young players, right? Like they're just trying to get their feet wet the first couple months of their pro career, and um, you know, he was somebody that that uh, helps uh, pull his weight a little bit more than um, you might have otherwise expected, and then. Obviously, it's kind of the team is is is, is on. Uh, they're now in you know a team that's looking more like the team that we expected. Um, his his numbers have followed as well. So you know he's he's uh you know he's on pace now for probably easily twenty goals. And I think you would always take that from a, a young rookie, um, you know, a guy that's a third round pick. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm encouraged. Uh, obviously, Seattle's pool is still somewhat. Um, you know, still growing, but uh, you know they've all already had some success with Rick Evans. You have a uh, Shane Wright in there, uh, Billy Ottavinians uh, coming in, done a nice job. And I have a guy like Winterton uh, among some other names. Um, so you know, slowly but surely, Seattle's doing a really nice job um, getting some of the young, those that young talent together at Coachella. Well, I agree. Uh, thank you very much, Patrick, for coming on the show once again. Appreciate it. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. So now we're going to talk about college hockey. We're happy to bring on Mike McMahon from the 
College Hockey Insider and Senior Writer for the College Hockey News about some drafted college hockey players. And Mike, I want to ask you about Oscar Jelvik from Boston College. 5'11", but 185 pounds, Boston Bruins draft pick, unsigned at this time. Fifth round pick, 149th overall. Um, you know, what's really interesting is, I know we've talked about the past about eligibility, but this is a guy who played pro for three games in the yeah. Swedish Elite League, <laughs> right? No one really yeah. has talked about it. Here's another like precedent, right, uh, from that standpoint. So now he's in his, had a actually reasonably good freshman season, I thought. And this year in the sophomore season, yes, they got a pretty stacked team and there's only one puck. But for him, he's got 31 points in 29 games. Like for me, that's a great sophomore season because with all those good young players coming in, he could have been pushed out of the limelight a little bit, but he hasn't. He's actually taken the ball and ran with it. I give him credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's been, uh, He's been the beneficiary of playing with Gautier, number one. I mean, that, that's been a big part of it. But he played with Gautier last year, too. You know, and yep. uh, like you said, had a, had a nice freshman season with 17 points. Uh, but the, the biggest thing I look at with him this year is uh, the, the assist numbers are just about the same from a d- distribution standpoint. He's been a pretty good playmaker, really, at every level. Uh, one of the things that's, that's been a big jump for him this year, which I don't think has as much of an effect on who he's playing with, is his goal total has gone up considerably. I mean, he's four goals last year, already has 12 goals this year in five less games. They've still got a long way to go. Um, you know, he he's, could be a guy that has a 15-16 goal sophomore season by the time it's all said and done with playoffs, which is really good. And if you're Boston, you're looking at a middle-to-late-round pick who's over a point per game uh, playing in Hockey East with 15-16 goals as a sophomore, you're feeling pretty good about that guy. 100%. And the other thing is... One of the things that when I was watching some game film of him, it jumped out to me is his willingness to go into the paint. I think he recognized that he was not going to score from distance in college hockey. He had to linger into the paint. And I think playing with Goche in that respect, because Goche likes to shoot too, is that you have no choice. Like if you want to continue to have four or five or six goals, then you're going to be pushed down the lineup because you can't be relied on to put on, put up offense. So you're going to have to go to the paint to go get some goals. And he did, he's done that more consistently and understood that you're never scoring against distance. You just, your shot isn't that lethal to allow for that. So you're going to have to pay the price. Yeah. He's a, he's a good complimentary player on that line. Gasozzi, Andre Gasozzi, the other guy on that line, they, they've been together pretty much all year. Um, but yeah, no, he's been a very good complimentary player to go GA who, I know we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, but has been on a tear as of late too. I think he's got like eight goals in his last six games. He's up to 26 goals now in the season. Gauthier is. And, uh, you know, Jelvik has been along for the ride there, but those points all just aren't all just attributed to playing with him. You know, he, he's been able to produce a lot of those himself. And I agree with you. I think it's, it's the complimentary way in which he plays off of Gauthier. He's, I don't know that he's going to be, you know, even at the, especially at the next level, he's not going to be the driver on a line, but he's a really good complimentary piece. I think he has enough hockey sense, puck skills, and understanding where he needs to be to make a play from that standpoint. And I I think that, you know, you have to have enough hockey sense and intelligence to understand what what you are as a player. And I think he certainly does that as well. Uh, The next guy I want to talk to you about as well is Noah Laba. So 
big kid, 6'2", grown into his frame, around 200 pounds center, right-handed shot at Colorado College and had, had played, you know, a couple really solid seasons, I thought, in Lincoln, in the USHL. And what really surprised me is his numbers weren't really fantastic. He's more of a grinder, actually, in the USHL. And I thought that was going to really like continue on. And I think it, it did to a degree as a freshman. But then this year, he's really just, I think he had just finally broken through and has much more consistency because he's a point of game player as a sophomore in Colorado College. And if you look back at how he played with, in Lincoln, you're like, I never, I don't, I would have not have projected that. I would not have projected the offensive output. So, Good for him. A playing a really, really greasy style game, getting his penalty minutes under control because he would just, you know, go crazy. He had 113 penalty minutes or something ridiculous in his last year in in Lincoln. So I think he's understood to pick his spots better, but then has become much more offensively minded and and his pr- and prowess around the net. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, learning how to control that, I, I think, has helped him a lot. Because even last year as a freshman, he had 48 penalty minutes last year as a freshman at CC. Yeah. Uh, he's down to 23 this year in 27 games. So it's down considerably. Uh, and the off- I mean, he even had the offense there as a freshman, too, 22 points in 35 games. I think good. it's been a good spot for him. He's yeah. he's been on an emerging team that went on a run last year to the NCHC finals, almost won their tournament, made, made the NCAA tournament. This year, they're... You know, they just came off maybe arguably one of their biggest weekends in the last decade uh, sweep in North Dakota, which they did earlier in the season as well on the road. Both of those games were in overtime, but uh, swept North Dakota this past weekend at home. Uh, he had four points in that series. He's been a big reason why that program is now They're up to number 11, I think, now uh, in, in the pairwise rankings. Uh, he's been right at the center of it. I mean, he's leading them in scoring. He's had an opportunity to come in and play in, in a big role on an emerging team uh, with a, a staff that was installed a couple of years ago when Chris Mayotte was hired and that program is is building you know they're they're on the way up and uh, he's been right at the center of it you know in terms of he was one of their top scores last year as a freshman he's one of their top scores now again this year as a as a sophomore what's interesting to me as a New York Rangers draft pick fourth round uh, you look at how the playoffs are played in the NHL and he's six two and he's good. By the time he fills out fully, he's going to be well over 200 pounds, right-handed shot, which obviously you want that draw. And because of his willingness and his nastiness, you could see him find a way of being a really effective fourth line center in the NHL. And everybody sort of looks at the high end dangling skills guys. But I think sometimes we forget like not only in college hockey, but in the NHL, we watch the regular season go, and then we forget what the playoffs are like. And he's a playoff-style player. And if I'm a coach, that's the kind of guy I want matching up. Like So if you got to roll the fourth line over over the boards, there's a guy who's going to have a, like a lot of nasty, but yeah. has played and produced at an offensive level that he has confidence that he can – he can make, he's confident by making plays and not worrying about making mistakes. And I think this sophomore season, and if he can follow it up with a junior season and depends on what happens after that, that's a guy that, you know, you want to keep an eye on as a potential role player. Yeah. I mean, look, he's playing in every situation, which is what you want out of those types of guys. Yes. He's got two shorthanded goals this year. Uh, they're as a team. I think they're a plus 20 this year as a team. He's a plus 19. 
uh, yeah. individually, you know, as a player. Uh, he's got a couple power play goals as well. So he's out there in every type of situation. But the big thing is, is he's out there on the penalty kill. He's created offensive opportunities when he's on the penalty kill. Uh, and he's been on the ice for way more goals than goals against, which if you're looking for a guy in that role, those are some of the, obviously some of the components you're looking for. We've got a couple of minutes left. Let's just quickly talk about Sam Brinzel as a freshman university of Minnesota. I'm not sure if he lasts. I'm not sure if he becomes a sophomore. Like, honestly, I'm not sure. I knew he was coming in raw, but when you're six, four and he's gained a bunch of weight, which certainly helps. And he's a right-handed shot. But when you're a freshman and you've already popped up 25 points in 32 games, Mike, does he, does he sign and just leave early? I I don't know. I mean, that, that's, it's kind of interesting because uh, he's a Chicago pick. So, you know, you look at their organization and it, a lot of it's probably going to depend on what, what they feel is next best for his development. Is it going to the AHL or yeah. I mean, cause you're right. It's hard to pass up on a six foot four, six foot five, right shot defenseman. Who's a point per game in college as a freshman. (laughs) Those, those guys have kind of, especially right shots. Those guys have kind of become unicorns. You don't see a lot of those guys come, come around the bend anymore. So uh, if, if they feel the year in the American league next year is, is worth it for his development, which it probably is. I, I wouldn't be shocked because he's had a monster freshman year. Offensively, he's had a monster freshman year, and he's still growing. Yeah, I mean, there were some hiccups that I saw when I when he was at the World Juniors defensively that may made Mike. That's been. Think, I was going to say, yeah, that'd be the only thing I'd be critical of. That, is there's been times might, even at Minnesota this year where uh, defensively it's been, ugh, but you know, with the puck on his stick, holy smokes, right? Yeah. And his advantage is because he's such got he has such excellent range and he spreads out those arms and he's got a long stick and he can take away time and space. And maybe that's the only thing that you're thinking of. If you're Chicago is that that extra year to clean up some of the defensive habits. And these are the things you want, we want you to work on, or is it, we might be, might be better suited that we take you and we do exactly what we want with you on the development standpoint is that you might be raw in these areas, but if you're with our AHL coaches and you're with our player development, that we could focus on those things more than a couple times a week. Of course, you know, yeah. they're going to get practices and games, but, you know, this is going to be a daily thing that they can work on. So maybe that's the difference. I'm not entirely sure, but we'll see about that. But once again, Mike, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate appreciate the insight. And we certainly can't wait to talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks. That's Mike McMahon, College Hockey Insider and Senior Writer for College Hockey News. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by PowerPlayer, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. This is our regular segment with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach in our segment called It's All Mental. Dr. Willis, thank you very much for coming on our show once again. Hey, guys. How's it going? Things are great, and as we continue to go through your book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind, we are now into Chapter 5, which is practice. The topic this week in this segment is choosing deliberate practice. It's interesting that this is in your book. I've read this subject matter in some other books about deliberate practice and the difference between just going on on the ice or just training or whatever you're doing, whether you're a player or an executive or – whatever your you know, vocation is and trying to get better at that. Cause I had read a book on a bunch of different aspects of looking at people that work in an industry for up to 10 years. And did they actually get, have they been improving? Had they get better? And it was about 77% of the people in any vocation actually got worse at their job after 10 years comparative yeah. to their first three years that they were there, even though they were new because they stopped their growth mindset and their deliberate practice to get better. And they just sort of went, kept going through the motions. So in your clinical work and you're working with young hockey players, um, what are the, like some of the things that you discuss with them about choosing deliberate practice and why it's so imperative to the continuous growth, not just in their skill set, but more importantly, in their mental and emotional capabilities? Because I always look at it this, Dr. Willis, is that you don't rise to your training, you fall to your habits. And yes. when, when stress hits you, you always end up falling back to what you're comfortable with and if what you're comfortable with isn't at a high level you're gonna get you're not gonna get the results that you want oh my gosh you you nailed it you nailed it um, and then and here's the thing your first comment about the different professions and how they are worse after years and years versus better um, one of the professions is is being a doctor right being a medical doctor and 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 that's scary right to think that the doctor that just came out of school might be a little bit more in tune than the, than the one that's been in practice for 10 or 15 years. That's scary, but it's not a rule. It is a potential, right? And it really comes down to what you just mentioned. And that is the idea that 
we have to continue to challenge ourselves. We have to continue to, to push ourselves to learn more and more. It's not, you know, your, your comment about how do I address these guys that are, you know, in the game and trying to be their best and trying to move up and play at higher levels. This is an idea that I don't need you to understand the details of it, but at an early age, I need you to understand the concept of it. And that is you don't learn something once and then go on and just say, okay, I've learned that. Let me do the next thing. Okay. I've learned that. Let me do the next thing. It's not that it's about learning over and over and over and over again. Right. And if you look at my coaching program, you'll notice that it's the same for all the levels. And what I mean is that there's a foundation level, there's a media intermediate level, and then there's a high sort of an elite level. And I do that for every single um, age group and, and, and skill group that I, that I work with. And that's because it's not the same exact content, but it's the same concept, right? That we have to work on fundamentals. We have to work those into, you know, becoming automatic habit. And then we have to continue elevate, elevate, elevate. I love your comment about we don't rise to sort of our goals and our aspirations. We fall to our habits, the things that we do when we're not thinking. Uh, and when you're under pressure, our brains stop thinking. So if we don't develop those habits at a high level, then guess what? Our, our performance at in, under pressure when it matters the most is less, right? It's, it's not as, as functional. So to, to sort of get into this idea of deliberate practice, it's, it's the idea that you have to be intentional with the idea that I am developing my body. I'm developing my mind. I'm working on skills that I'm going to use throughout my, my career in this game. And if you just go into this thinking, well, I've already done that, or I'm already really good at that. And I don't need to work on it anymore. Those are the guys that are going to get shuffled out. And it's, and it's not right because they could have massive potential, but it's reality because they've sort of said, Oh, I'm ready to work on the next thing. And the next thing, um, so, you know, I, I, I sort of look at what you guys do and your ability to scout players and see what they're capable of and see potential and all that kind of stuff. Do you notice, do you notice practice habits, different practice habits in the players that, you know, are highly touted or the ones that you see massive potential versus the ones that, you know, they're good, but for whatever reason, there's something about the way they practice that, um, is worrisome, right? Do you guys see that? I'm sure you do, but I mean, is that something that you process and, and track and all that kind of stuff? Uh, we'll answer a question from my, my perspective. The, the main thing that we look for when it comes to development curves is if you take a, take a player from the beginning of the season, let's use an example in real time, Matthew Nyes. Um, he has a similar situation as a, a former drafted player, Matt Boldy, in the sense that they both have tremendous tools, and because of those tools, they both are in an experimentation phase and they're trying to figure out exactly where they can implement uh, their, their size and their hand combination on the ice to get the, the most optimal play. And so what I'm looking for, uh, what I looked for from Matt Boldy and which he did show and what I look for from Matthew Nyes and he is now showing it the, towards the end of the season here is that they're starting to, to recognize within their skill acquisition, which skill is the best in each area of the ice to have the most success. And that, and, and it shows in their production, right? And usually at the start of the season, you see these types of players um, 
have difficulty finishing, which is exactly what occurred with Matthew Nyes. It was less of a factor for, for Boldy, but definitely a factor for Matthew Nyes. And now towards the end of the season, you're starting to see him put to, put his shot together at range because he has the mechanics, but he didn't know when and where he should shoot. Now he's starting to learn that process. Part of that is the practice off the ice. It, it really is the, the the drilling off the ice. It's the it's the what you say when it comes to the uh, the the type of practice that he's doing, that effortful practice practice where he's engaged. You can tell that that's coming through. Right. And that's very important yeah. to see that adaptation. Um, the, the question I had for you, Kevin, was we just had our skills and development coach on uh, Pat Malloy, and he discussed the process. Uh, he's, he's somebody who formerly worked with Nick Haig, who was uh, severely knockneed. And now there's a there's a prospect in this draft who is also severely knockneed and Brent Clark. And his task was rebuilding, essentially, um, Nick Haig and Brent Clark and trying to build the muscle, help build the musculature around. Uh, their knee ligaments so that they could skate better with better posture okay now the, the thing that was interesting that he said though was he said that it's very dry you know and, and I, I told him how I came from a strength and conditioning background where yeah a lot of it's just repetition so my mm-hmm. question for you is how do you uh, when, when you look at this effortful almost attention to the development process in terms of practice what do you say when it comes to the dry approach and just putting in those repetition is it is it about uh, I guess the term would be going back is it about persistence is it just about the kids staying level-headed and staying persistent through that process for you is there something else there in terms of your practice philosophy that you think you can incorporate yeah, well, you know, it comes down to a, a be, be honest with you, a personality trait, right? The the willingness to do something over and over and over again, um, just because the coach told you to do it, versus trying something new. I've done that. Let me do something else, coach. Come on, come on, coach. This is boring. Can we do something else, right? So that's a personality trait that would definitely lend itself to making something easier or more difficult when it comes to being, you know, really purposeful in your practice approach. Uh, So that would be one thing that I would like to know about that player. Where are they? What is their, you know, personality when it comes to doing stuff like that? Because if they are that adventurous type that gets bored really fast and just can't stand doing things over and over again, I would need to know that because I got to ride those guys a little bit harder because just because they're ready to go on to the next thing doesn't mean they're ready to go on to the next thing. And so my job then is to keep them focused. And because I know their tendency is to sort of get away from it, then I got to be a little bit of a hard ass to keep them on task. Somebody else who is really good about repetition, doing things over and over again, and they could do it till they fall over dead because it's just not that big a deal. I don't have to worry about that as much. And that's part about going back to know your players, know their tendencies, know their personality, know their hockey type, right? Is that, you know, what are their tendencies so that I can sort of manage um, with that. But then we're going to jump into here in a minute about, you know, the, how you practice matters and the different aspects of deliberate practice. And, and we'll sort of get into that again in the repetition side of it, because at the end of the day, you know, we've got to take these things and turn them into automatic habit. And that doesn't come by doing it just a few times that comes from doing it over and over, just like we talked about last week, you know, we are increasing the myelin around the neurons that make the muscle fibers fire. Right. And, and by doing that, we are making it more likely that they're going to do the right thing at the right time because we've drilled it into them. We've literally changed their physiology to do a specific skill because we've drilled it into them. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. 
Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by the Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, breaking down his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. We're in Chapter 5, Practice, and the topic in this segment is how you practice matters. Um, to go back to actually some of your, your question initially, uh, and your commentary, Dr. Willis, in the last segment, one of the things that, you know, stood out to me, and I would go to NHL practices in the morning because I want to watch the young players that get called up. So my focus was always on the rookies and the young players. I want to know, because I'd see them in the American League, and then I want to see how they play against in the pros. So I'd go watch practice, and then I'd go get, I go talk to some veteran players that I'd known since junior and pull them to the side. And I'd ask some questions about the young players practice habits. I'm like, what do you think? Do you think they're ready? And they had never seen this player play before. And they're like, he's not ready. And it's all based on how the player had practiced, not just in, in that, you know, morning game skate, but in some other practices he had seen him in and based just on practicing without ever seeing the player play, they, they, they could give me a like really high probability whether the kid was ready to make it into the NHL or not. And I actually started tracking it and it was in like the high eighties to 90% accurate. They just knew based on that. So, you know, going back to that about how you practice matters, like if any of the young prospects are listening, it, when the veteran players in your team are telling you this is what you need to do in practice, they're not telling you for like just for kicks and giggles. It, they're saying it for a reason, uh, specifically because they want to win. They know you're playing in the game and this is going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's when I really noticed uh, sort of the the intention of practice having such a major impact is working with NCAA teams. 
And, you know, these guys are, are dying to get a sweater and it, literally it's almost down to, and I know it's junior teams and even pro teams for the most part, but it's really interesting in D1 to watch these guys that, that really want to play and they're right at the edge and they probably could play and they could probably do just fine, but for whatever reason, they're just not getting their shot. And so the ones that I can work with, and I teach them these skills around deliberate practice and how you practice matters, not just in your development, but in perception, right? Just how other people see you. And that's when it really sort of started to, I, I could create really good um, sort of stories for my younger players that this matters because on a younger team, you're going to play whether you, you know, had a great practice or not, it really doesn't matter. There's only so many people on the team and you're going to play regardless. And so it's really easy to fall into habits that practices don't matter. But as you move up, you guys know, right? Practices are critical. And then you get, like you mentioned, Shane, to the pros, you know, just, just a perception by a, a veteran to see some guy that, you know, just, and it's so subtle, most people wouldn't see it, but the way he gave up on a battle or the way that, you know, he sort of turned away after the shot, subtle things. But when we're talking about, you know, at playing at the highest levels, those subtle things can really be glaring. And so it's easy to sort of see somebody that says, you know what, I, I know you want it. I know that you feel like you've earned it, but you're not quite there yet. And not it's because you're not how you're playing, but because how you're practicing. We say it over and over. The way you practice is the way you'll play. And it's true. It is true. Um, so how you practice matters. And that's it's, you know, when working with younger people, it's just getting to understand the idea of how you practice matters. But with the older players, it's getting into the, you know, drive, drilling down into what does that mean? So, okay, Kevin, it says how I practice matters, but what does that mean? What does that mean? And so real quick before, because I know we're going to get into this in depth uh, next week, but before we go further, I just want to talk about sort of these five key areas, what, what we have to see in a really strong, intentional, purposeful practice, right? And that is the idea of master coaching, right? Having somebody out there that understands the game and understands how it should be played and being able to give you feedback very close to the actual skill, right? Because that's, that's a very powerful way to develop uh, um, the right skills at the right time. Uh, the right drills, right? Having players do the right things over and over and over. You can do the same thing over and over, but if it's wrong, man, you're getting really good at doing the wrong thing. Uh, so we got to have the right drills. Um, sorry, guys. Um, zone time. When I talk about zone time, I'm talking about getting into, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and pushing, pushing on things that you're not great at, pushing at things you need to get better at. Uh, and that's a scary time because guess what happens when you get out of your comfort zone, you start screwing up, right? And when you start screwing up, what do you start hearing from the bench, right? The coach is screaming at you. So it's not a fun place to be, but unless you get out of your comfort zone, you're never going to get better. Uh, the fourth one is repetition, just like what Brad was saying earlier, is that you've got to do this stuff over and over and over and over again. And you've got to understand that whether you like doing it that way or not, whether you're more natural doing it that way or not, it still has to be done. And then the last thing is game-like conditions, right? If you're going out practicing because it's practice and you toned it down a little bit, then you're going to find yourself really running around in a game because you just, you're not there. But if you practice in game like conditions and coaches are getting much, much better at doing this, then there's you're more likely to sort of fall into that rhythm when it comes game time. Just to expand on that, Kevin, uh, when you're talking about the zones, um, 
is it one of those situations where you you want them to fall into the zones at the right time? Like, are there specific zones that need to be uh, acclimated to the athlete at the right with the right conditions? Yes, exactly right. And and this is super important because. You know, I've told guys, I want you pushing the comfort zone, pushing the comfort zone. And then they go out in a really important game and start doing crap that they're not very good at. Right. Oh, coach, you said to do it and, you know, push myself. Well, no, 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 that you're, you're missing the point. When we're talking about getting outside of your comfort zone, we recognize I, I have three zones that I talk about comfort zone, learning zone, which is just outside of the comfort zone. And then the panic zone, that means you're way outside of your comfort zone and you're freaking out. Right. Um, so I want people to practice in the learning zone. I don't want you to spend too much time in your comfort zone in practice because you're already good at that stuff. I want you pushing it because if you make a mistake in practice, big deal. Yeah, you might get yelled at, but you know, you're not going to lose the game. If you jump into a game and think I'm going to spend time doing things I don't really know how to do very good, then you're in for a rough game. In the game, I want you playing with speed and intensity. And the way you play with speed and intensity is you do things that you're really good at which is things in your comfort zone, right? It's things that I do almost automatically without having to think. So yeah, you, to, you nailed it, Brad. It's, it's really down to, I have to understand the zones, but when it comes to game time, I want to play a very simple, effective game, which means I'm probably staying close to my comfort zone so that I can be fast and intense and physical. But when it comes to practice, I don't want to spend much time in my comfort zone. I want to push the edges. I want to be out there doing things that, you know what, I'm probably going to screw up half the time or more, but that's okay. Cause this is where I'm getting better. This is where I'm learning. So yeah, that's spot on. It's these different zones and knowing how to spend the right amount of time in the right place so that I'm getting the most out of both competition and my preparation. See both your last two points. I think it is really important because sometimes I think there's a misinterpretation of like when the coaches say, why don't you play a simple game? And then the fans or other people, media around it will say, you mean a simplistic game? And it's not, they just misinterpreted what the meaning of that actually is. So, you know, I think in this conversation, we certainly have done that. But once again, we want to thank you very much uh, for your great insight, Dr. Willis. And we look forward to speaking to you next week as always. And uh, for our guests, I'm Shane Malloy, along with Brad Allen. It's been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio. And hopefully one day we will see you at the rink. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. 